one in three animals will go missing during their lifetime. And an average of 10 million pets every year goes missing. Those are just daunting numbers. When you though look at the return to home rates, once they get into a shelter, less than 20% of dogs get back home to their original families. And depending on which statistic, which group statistic you're looking at, two to 5% of cats get home. Welcome to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. I'm Tori Mystic. As a dog mom lifestyle expert, blogger, and business owner, I love talking to other women in the pet industry and sharing their advice with you every week. Sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to the amazingly animated and highly informed Lorian Clemens, the co-founder of Pet Hub. She is passionate about getting lost pets back home, and that involves a lot of consumer education about proper pet identification. She told me that pet loss is kind of a three-legged stool consisting of microchips as a safety net, a caller ID tag that has current information, and then a local pet license that serves as the only proof that your dog really belongs to you. Lorian also shares advice for launching a pet industry startup. First off, do your research. You may not be the first person with that brilliant idea. Although that's not a deal breaker, you need to know the landscape. Second, you need to know your audience so well and make sure that your product or service is something that they want and need. She says that if you are ready to dive in, start reaching out now to people in your niche to get feedback and build relationships. I think that listening to this conversation with Lorian is going to make you so inspired to work towards your pet industry dreams. Do you really want to grow a business that positively impacts the lives of pets and their people while also making profits that positively impact your life? Well, it's the final countdown for B-School enrollment. You may have heard me talking about Marie Forleo's B-School over the last week or so. It's a six-week live program that's a crash course in getting your dream business launched or strengthening the one that you currently have. I enrolled in 2020, and I can credit my online courses, my website relaunch, every testimonial that I have, and most of my email sequences to things I learned in B-School, and that's just scratching the surface. As an official affiliate partner, I do earn a commission for anyone who enrolls through my special link, which is wherewagrepeat.com slash bschool. And that means that I also get to offer my bschoolers special petpreneur bonuses. This year, I am giving away over $1,100 in online courses, coaching, membership, and more. But the doors close very, very soon. So if you have any questions at all, please DM me on Instagram at wherewagrepeat and we can trade voice notes. My goal with promoting B-School is not to get as many people as possible to sign up so I make the most commission possible. I truly believe in this program. It has made such a positive impact on my life 
my business and just my mindset about so many things. I love Marie Forleo. Um, if you're not familiar with her, please go watch some of her YouTube videos of Marie TV. If you like her and you like her vibe, please, please just consider B-School because I think it will really positively impact your life as well. The tagline for the course is make money and make a difference. And I think that really connects well with the pet industry. So if you are interested, head over to wherewagrepeat.com slash bschool and enroll before your chance is gone. Lorian Clemens is the co-founder and CEO at Pet Hub Inc., she joined PetHub in June of 2011 as the modern pet ID tag startup was in its beginning stages. She has guided the company to win multiple pet industry awards, including two Pet Business Magazine Product of the Year awards for their unique digital ID tags and online services. Individually, Lorian was honored by Pet Age Magazine as one of the pet industry's women of influence. Nestled in the woods outside of the tech mecca of Seattle, Washington, Lorian lives with a Boston Terrier, two cats, her husband, and a two-year-old son. An avid fan of science fiction and a die-hard technophile, she loves investigating new, exciting tech trends and all things geeky and pet-related. Hello, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, me too. I I um love talking about tech stuff related to the pet industry because I just think there's so many cool and exciting things happening all the time. So yeah. so you know, I, I said in your bio that Pet Hub makes these like um modern pet ID tag, but can you tell people like what does that really mean? <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell. So, <laughs> so um well we say that Pet Hub is a centralized database and pet parent membership program to help pets keep every family's pets happy, safe, and home for the rest of their lives. And what does that mean? So we have a digital ID tag is the thing that we're primarily known for. And the the tag that's out there that most people know us for is our QR coded pet ID tag. So on the back of every single tag, there's a unique QR code, a unique website address that actually links to a pet's profile, and then a 24-7 call center. And that unique profile on pethub.com holds a wealth of data points that we use primarily to help lost pets get home. That's how we um, have become known in the industry. We're really good at it. 96% of the pets that get home with our system are home in 24 hours or less. And when you think about, you know, some national averages that are out there are, you know, 10 days average for return to home. Um, we're in 24 hours or less and less than 2% of pets ever hit a shelter door when they're wearing our tag. So that's, we're keeping pets out of shelters. And so that's what we uh, are known for, but we have other things that we're actually starting to do now that are really exciting. I'm sure we can dig into if we have time today, but that's primarily what we're known for. That's that modern pet identification. And we do have other ID products that we do, or that we are working with other manufacturers who license our QR technology on their identification pieces, but you know, it primarily known for those ID tags. And in the past couple of years, because of 
COVID safety protocols, QR codes have really, they're having a moment. (laughs) Yeah. How how has that impacted your business? Well, it's so funny because, you know, Pet Up's been around for 12 years. We were um, first to the market with a QR coded pet tag, Tom Tom Arnold, my husband and founder of uh, Pet Hub. He's the CTO of our company. He actually filed a patent for it uh, back in 2009 before we even incorporated it as a company. And uh, so we were we were really, really cutting edge, which, believe it or not, was problematic <laughs> because nobody really knew what these QR codes were. And uh, within the f- few years after we started, people have started to use QR in, in marketing and things like that. But it frankly, was a little bit of a flop in the United States, whereas in Europe and in Asia, it really had taken off. Use QR had really taken off. But the United States, it wasn't, it wasn't gaining much ground. So though we were doing really well in what we were, were trying to get out there and get done, it, it wasn't as popular as we had thought it would be until the pandemic. And now it's just crazy how everybody totally gets what is happening. Although I will say, even before the pandemic, QR had become ubiquitous enough that folks would look at a tag and go, oh, that goes to an online profile. They had figured that out. But when we first started, there was a lot of education <laughs> around telling people how it worked. We also were the first to file an NFC tag, you know, the tap technology before, before people got used to tapping their credit cards and things like that. We, we filed a patent on NFC as soon as it basically became usable with Android phones. Apple had not started using yet. And again, we were a little too cutting edge uh, to really take hold of the market, but we were the first to market with that too. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm really thankful. cool. I'm thankful for the QR surge in the pandemic. It's been it's helped our business a lot. Yeah, now everyone in almost every demographic, I think, um, can understand how to use a QR code now. So, mm-hmm. so that's really good. Um, one thing that you touched on was this um, return to owner rate or, or getting yeah. pets back home. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think that there's. I think with your product, there's just such a huge component of um, like consumer education of, you know, some people's dogs don't have tags, period. Um, And so they're kind of screwed uh, (laughs) when their dog escapes. Yeah. Um, And so, so talk to us a little bit about, because I think people don't realize really how, um, you know, how drastic uh, the numbers are with, you Mm -hmm. know, dogs actually getting back home. Yeah. So if we talk, and and I will say, thankfully, and not just because of us, but programs like ours have helped, certainly. When we first started, there were six to eight million pets every year in shelters, and as much as 50% of them were being euthanized. Now, that number has gone drastically down. The no-kill movement has helped with that significantly. But the statistics for lost pets are the same in terms of how many pets get home and how many pets, uh, how many pets get lost, rather, and then how many pets get home. So one in three animals will go missing during their lifetime. And an average of 10 million pets every year goes missing. And so those are just daunting numbers. When you look at the return to home rates, once they get into a shelter, less than 20% of dogs get back home to their original families. And depending on which statistic, which group statistic you're looking at, two to 5% of cats get home. Those are daunting statistics. Now, there are some statistics out there that say things like, oh, you know, 80% of dogs get home, you know, with their ID tag. That's great. But the problem is if they don't have an ID tag, they're not getting home. And, and there, there are, there is frankly no 
real statistic out there about what is the percentage before they get to the shelter that get home. But just, you know, if you think about where the numbers are in terms of how many animals are going into shelters and things like that, it's still really daunting. So from our perspective, you need to look at identification and lost pet prevention is kind of a three-legged stool. A microchip is great. It's the ultimate safety net. A lot of people are like, well, when my pet's microchipped, I don't need an external tag. Well, microchips are great until they're not. There's a lot of inherent things wrong with microchips. For example, they have to be scanned at a veterinarian or a shelter in order to get home. So that means that you're relying on somebody who may or may not understand how microchips work, who may or may not want to have to pit the dog into their car and take them to a vet or a shelter and then get them scanned. You're relying on a good Samaritan to help you out. You're also relying on once that they get to the shelter or the veterinarian, that the time will be taken to properly scan. Most microchips are put in between the shoulder blades, but those things can migrate. And they and it's not a small percentage that migrate a good enough percentage of migrate that it's not uncommon to find them down on the shoulder or even down the leg or way down on the back. And so you have to hope that, yeah, that was properly scanned. And then you have to hope that the information is up to date. And this is where it gets the scariest. So according to the microchip industry, as much as 52% of microchips are either out of date or were never properly registered in the first place. If you talk to some shelters and veterinarians, they'll tell you the numbers are even worse. We talked to one of our clients. They say about 80% of the the scans that they do for microchips that have a microchip in them are out of date or have no information at all. And that that only about 20% of the animals that they're scanning actually have a microchip. So that's a tiny number of people, uh, excuse me, pets that are yeah. actually getting home with that microchip. And it's a all... tiny percentage of a tiny percentage. Right. And, and yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times you've heard these stories of, oh, it's so amazing. After seven years, this cat got home because of his microchips. I think that's is tragic. It was tragic for the pet that had to be away from his family for seven years. And then for the family that took him in and readopted him and became that loved him for those seven years. And now they're faced with oh, he doesn't really belong to us. He's part of another family. That's devastating. I would much rather us have a system where pets are getting home in hours and it's not not days and, and months and years. So microchips, ultimate safety net. Then you need to have an external ID tag that has current valid information. And that's why a digital ID tag is really the best choice for an external ID tag because if you if you get a new cell phone number, if you are at work, I don't pick up my phone 24-7, particularly when I'm in the middle of a meeting right now. I've got my phone turned off. I'm not going to pick it up during this during this podcast, you know. But I only have one number on a standard ID tag. And so if somebody's trying to call me, they may only try one time before they give up and take them to the shelter. So an ID tag, like a digital ID tag, like a pet hub tag, you can have unlimited phone numbers attached to that, and you can update them anytime you need. If you're going out of town, you move your pet sitter's name to the top of the list. You get a new pet sitter, you just change their phone, the phone number that's on attached to that profile. And then the last thing that we recommend that you get, even though a lot of people don't think about it, is local ordinances will have rules about either a registered rabies tag or a license tag. And that's one of the reasons why Pet Hub years ago pivoted. Um, from being a direct consumer primarily um, product to being a product that works with municipalities, animal shelters, and veterinarians to provide better identification for regulated IDs. A regulated ID like a local pet license is the only proof of ownership that you have. It's not enough to have put a, a microchip in a pet and then registered it under your name. 
Anybody can do that. But the only thing that really proves that that pet belongs to you and your family is a local pet license. So three legs, microchip, uh, identification externally, preferably a uh, pet hub ID tag, and then a local registrated tag. And so you mentioned that, I mean, that's like a lot. Sorry. I'm it process- is a lot. It's a whole processing. lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared. I'm excited. There was a lot <laughs> of emotions happening. Um, but you mentioned kind of partnering with local municipalities. Um, wh- like what is, how does that work? That what, seems like, a, that seems like very complicated because even just where I live, um, there's five different people who or organizations who oversee the dog licenses for different counties. I mean, yeah. That's where do you like live? In um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Okay. We're going to talk a lot about that. I, I went to Pitt for grad school. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> I love Pitt. So yeah, so it's, it's, it is confusing. And depending on where you live, it can be really confusing whether, boy, I live across the street from this person, but they have a county tag and I have a city tag or mm-hmm. I'm in this burg or this borough or what have you. So what we decided to do was to work with these communities in many cases to help them bring several different shelters together to have one tag. We have several programs that are like that where multiple communities are actually coming together and they have one single tag or at least the pet hub tag system. So even if the front of your tag has this shelter's um, logo on it, because you got your dog at that shelter, they're all going into the same pet hub pet hub system so that when we send out a, a shelter alert or if we're working with animal control, they understand how to use that system. And it can help the pet get home faster. But in terms of, you know, what you personally have to go through to get your pet licensed, the best I can say is you go to Google and you say, license my pet and you put it in your address and you'll find out what the local ordinances are. One of the things that we've had to learn as a, a startup company um, doing something that's never been done before. We're literally changing the paradigm of the way pet licensing identification tags are done. We had to figure out, you know, who do we talk to? And we joke that every municipality is its own special unicorn because sometimes it's the city police department that does it. Sometimes it's the tax collector that does it. Sometimes it's an animal shelter. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, the, another city government or, um, organization that then contracts through different veterinarians and shelters. It's different everywhere. And I wish it wasn't. I wish it was standardized, but it isn't. But what I can say is that it is important that no matter where you are, you look into that. A lot of people don't really know about pet licensing or why it's important. They think, oh, it's just another tax for my dog, but it really isn't. It has a lot of of really important reasons why licensing your pet um, well, you should license your pet, not the least of which it's proof that that pet belongs to you. And yes. should you get in a situation where that comes into question, it can be the difference between you getting your pet back and not. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. I never thought about it in that way. And I think that it's so interesting in the last 10 years, maybe when people are becoming more of pet parents mm-hmm. rather than um, thinking of their pets as property, but um, they at, by the law are still property. And so you do need um, these kinds of um, paperwork and registrations and things. Yeah. And it's also too, like, if you think about it too, and, and we can get, you know, I know we're getting down the road about pet licensing, but <laughs> if you think about, you know, well, I, I why am I having to pay for this? Well, if your pet does get lost, you want there to be animal welfare 
um, officers, ACOs, animal control officers out there that can help get your pet home, that can house your pet if in the instance that you're not able to immediately come get your pet, that there's a shelter there that will take care of them and keep them safe. You want there to be money available for that to happen. And much like the roads that we use, so we pay taxes on our gas and things like that, your use of these services, um, you're, you're helping everybody else around there get get use of that services too by paying these pet licenses. So it's it's a really important thing that we do as citizens to work together to have really healthy systems out there for our uh, companions. Do you want to make your pet business dreams a reality in less time for less money while having way more fun? Marie Forleo's B-School is a six-week online program that teaches you how to run a profitable, values-driven business that will profoundly change the quality of your life. I'm an alumni of the course, and after learning so much and implementing it in my own pet business over the last two years, I decided to become the only pet industry B-School affiliate partner. If you're interested in enrolling in this life-changing program, please sign up through wherewagrepeat.com slash bschool, and you'll also get access to over $1,100 worth of Wear Wag Repeat bonuses, including my own pet industry-specific online programs and tons of one-on-one support. Enrollment is only open for a very limited time. Don't wait another year. Head over to wherewagrepeat.com slash bschool and take the first step towards your pet business dream. Well, and I love just hearing how, um, you know, before pivoting was like the buzzword that you guys were pivoting from (laughs) pet owners to working with local organizations and stuff too. Um, And it seems like there's been a lot of learning curves from that perspective, then also the technology mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so I guess like switching the switching gears over to more of a business discussion, what kind of advice would you give to people who have a startup in the pet industry mm-hmm. who are trying to do something kind of groundbreaking and it's really hard? <laughs> it is really hard. I would say first and foremost, if I can, make sure that it's groundbreaking. Make sure that somebody isn't already doing that. I mean, there's a couple of folks that are out there right now with QR code tags that are literally like, oh my God, we invented this amazing thing. I'm like, I've been here for 12 years and (laughs) uh, we've got over 30,000 pets home with the system and almost a million pets on the site, but okay. Um, So make sure, because they're actually, and it's not just QR codes. Don't don't mess with Lorian because she knows the stats. (laughs) She knows the numbers, you guys. (laughs) Well, and it's just, it's just, I've seen this time and time again. I I just use a QR as an example, because there are a couple of companies literally that have come out in the last six months that you know, people are like, oh my God, they invented this amazing thing with QR. Isn't that awesome? It's not, but but the, the thing is, is that there are several uh, companies out there that I'm watching and, and they're talking about how we've, nobody's ever done this before. And I can't believe nobody ever thought about this. I'm like, I can name off five companies in the last five years that are working on this right now. You just maybe haven't heard about them yet, but it doesn't mean that they're not out there. And so first and foremost, when you're getting ready to start a company, please do your research do it deeply. Just because you have an idea, the second you go, oh my God, I've got an idea, then immediately start researching to see if somebody else has had that idea. Um, Because there are brand new ideas popping up all the time, but 
a lot of the ideas that even we had, like, oh, we should do this with what we're doing with Pet Hub. And then we go, oh, wow, so-and-so and so-and-so are doing that. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's partner with them instead. So first, I would say, do your research. Make sure that what you're doing really is cutting edge. And if if it isn't something that is brand new, but you still think that you can build a better mousetrap, go ahead and, and, and go for that. But just make sure that you know when you get into the space what the landscape is that you're going into. I would also say really know your audience well. Just because you build something cool doesn't mean it's something people want or need. And we actually had that when we first started. There were a lot of things that were like, oh, this would be cool, and this would be cool, and this would be cool. And we spent some energy building out some of those things, only to have pet parents say, oh, yeah, that is cool. I don't think I'll ever use that, though. And that was one of those things, just because you can make it doesn't mean you should. Just because you know there is cool technology there and let's go do something with that technology because that technology is so cool doesn't mean that it's actually something applicable that solves a real true need. So really talk to people and then listen um, to, to what they have. And then also, I guess the last thing that I would say is if you're ready to start, you know, you've got an idea, you've already been working on it, start reaching out now and building networks. Reach out to people like me. Reach out to companies that have been around for four or five years. Start getting feedback because I I wish that there had been a true startup community when we started with Pet Hub 12 years ago. There really wasn't. There were only a couple things out there. You know, Rover started around the same time we did. A couple other others that were starting around the time we did, but there really wasn't much happening in the tech space in particular uh, in pet. And we didn't really have a really good community and network of startups. Now, since I've been in the industry for a while now, there are some really, really great networks. Purina's got one going on with the Purina Care Innovation Prize. Mars has one going, a really fantastic program with Leap. Um, and there's a lot of different conferences and things like that where a, a startup company can go to and, and just get to know people and just get to know the industry. SuperZoo, Global Pet Expo, they all have ways that startups can go and just kind of get their feet wet and explore. So have open eyes, open ears, open mind, talk and listen. And but really, actually, let's put that back. Listen, <laughs> ask questions and listen some more. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really important to listen. And, and I think that um, listening to, to pet parents, but also other startups and other mm-hmm. people in your sphere, because you could say, yeah, we tried doing that. Like it's not worth it. Don't even go down that road. <laughs> well, we all, I think every one of us that that came into the pet industry from another space. I came in from the education space where there's a lot of you know, working together and a lot of collaboration between a lot of different um big entities love to elaborate, collaborate and everything like that. And then Tom came from the Microsoft where, you know, co-opetition is kind of the name of the game. Like you work with these other big movers and shakers and they have, they had a history, you know, Microsoft itself has a history of working with startups and things like that. And everybody in that tech space has that mentality. Not so in the pet industry, it's getting better. Mark, I mean, it's amazing, remarkable how, you know, things like the Purina efforts and the, and the Mars efforts have really helped, um, and other companies as well, those are to the front of mind for me, but have really helped get that startup networking thing going, but it's not, it wasn't part of the landscape when we first started 10 years ago, and it's really just starting to ramp up now, but we come in expecting everybody's going to want to work with us because this is a really great idea. And why wouldn't they want to do it? And they assume that there's some interoperability there. There isn't. There are these huge behemoth companies that have been there and been the only name in 
town for so long. And they're not really like, yeah, hey, come in, click into my data and start using it. They're not, you know, really, really, really to open up that way that we all are wanting them to. So just come in eyes wide open that things are not necessarily the way you see on in other industries where startups, the startup community and the startup culture has been thriving for decades. It's really just starting to ramp up, I think, in the pet industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And I think that um, I hear from so many people saying, I want to work with XYZ, which is like the, whatever the biggest name you could think of. And they're just usually not very flexible or interested in new ideas always, but, but you yeah, never know. It, depend. it depends. Wrong. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I, always, you got to put that little asterisk up. It depends, yes. you know, type of a thing, because sometimes they are, but then also too, I, I think and we certainly got our butts handed to us a number of times where we went in assuming like, of course, they're going to want to do this thing with us. Why wouldn't they? They'd be stupid not to. And our arrogance of like having doing something that we knew that they weren't doing, we knew that you know, they had nothing going that was, that was you know, going to be helping them with this. And no, they didn't. We were right in that assumption, but just coming in with the assumption that because of that, they're going to want to work with us really was kind of one of those things of like, ah, no, they, they don't. Or they get so many people knocking mm-hmm. on the door um, that that it just it's noise to them. So it really is important that you you start to start small, but start networking immediately. Just get to know people. And I would say that if you go in asking for help, asking for a favor, asking for a partnership, you're going to get a lot of doors slammed in your face. If you go in and say, "Hey, I'd love some feedback." Can I, can I have 10 minutes of your time and, and go in with a specific thing that you want feedback on because you know that that industry person knows about that little space. So if it, you know, if you, if you have a nutrition company, for example, or a specific brand in the nutrition space that you want to work with, go in and ask them about that one specific thing that you know that they are rock stars at, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, maybe they're a raw food company and you know that, that they've done such an amazing job with this particular you know, frozen raw food or something like that. Go in one specific question. I have this idea that I was thinking about. What do you think? Not like, doesn't that sound like a good idea to you? But more like, what do you think? Give me some feedback. Because then you're going to them and you're you're appealing to their ego, frankly, because, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at them as the expert. But then it allows them to come at you with, with, with what they feel comfortable sharing rather than immediately having that defensive up of, oh God, this person wants something from me. Mm-hmm. What I like that it's just, it's kind of a subtle shift, but it's the difference between selling Mm -hmm. yourself and your idea versus genuinely asking for feedback and advice. And you Mm -hmm. do have to genuinely want that. You know, like we had all the time, like, gosh, I wish we do such and such. And then I started to realize, okay, there gotta be people in the industry who know how to do this. And then I would start getting on Google and getting on LinkedIn and like who who could maybe answer this question? And and I did a lot of outreach like that. But look, I, I have this one question about this distribution thing, and I can't, I don't know what the answer is. Do you mind giving me some feedback on that? This is what my idea is. You'd be amazed how how many people will say, Oh, well, look over here and look at this thing, and you know, that'll that'll teach you that. Or we'll flat out say, schedule 15 minutes of my time. Tell, tell me what it is that you're working with, and I'll see if I can help. Rather than me saying, like, hey, come partner with me. I'm the best thing ever you know, that type of thing. Yeah. 
I mean, I, little old me, I, I get DMs all the time asking, how do you do X, Y, and Z? And it's easy for me to just send back. I usually do a voice note because I'm lazy and I don't want to type everything. So I'll send back a voice note and I'll go back and forth. Like people are happy to help when you ask, right. especially I think in the pet industry in, in general. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think it's, it's, it's easy for me to give feedback. It's easy for me to answer a question. That's like something that I, I know off in the top of my head. It's really hard for me when you come and ask me to partner with you and give you money and, and do this thing for you or do this favor for you. Yeah. That immediately I shut down because it's going to take resources from you. You're already got, too and much it also to do. puts me at risk, frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, it was hard for us to hear when we were started the first five years that we were trying to do this. We went to shelter after shelter, after shelter, like really, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And they're like, sounds cool. Go ahead and give us some free tags. And if we have time, we might throw them on a couple of pets and see how it works, but come back to us in five years when you've proven yourself because nobody wants to put their reputation and how hard they've worked for decades to get that reputation as a thought leader or what have you on. Well, nobody wants to hang that on you. Who's been around for 18 months and may not be in business in six months because you run out of money or because somebody else comes along and had that idea at the same time and they did a better job with execution than you did. And then all of a sudden they're, they're tied up with this company, not with the company that actually isn't doing it well. So there is a hesitation to work with startups at the same time. There's an excitement to see how startups do, you know, like everybody wants these startups to succeed, particularly the ones that are doing things like, yes, this is a problem. Please go solve that. But at the same time, there's a little bit of hesitation because it, startups fail seven out of 10 fail before they're five years old, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, Lorian, th- you've provided us with like such an inspiring conversation and so much great advice that gives people, I think a mindset shift, but also just like specific actionable things that people can do. Um, but before I let you go, I have yeah. to ask you about your dog. <laughs> <Ha>. <laughs> um, so I got a little sneak peek of cute little Hetty over there. Um, tell us about how she came into your life. Well, I've always been a Boston fan. I had a Boston terrier named Penny that a lot of people know from pet hub. She was the face of pet hub for years before she passed away about a year and a half ago. Anyway, we were trying to be dog free for a little while, um, and all that. But then a breeder that I had had a relationship with called me and she said, I know you're going to find this crazy. Cause I told you I wouldn't have a pet for you for another six, seven months, but it's in the middle of COVID right before Christmas. I have a puppy who nobody wants. Do you want her? And I was like, you know, we just moved into a brand new house. I've got a, a one and a half year old that's just starting to toddle. Why not? Let's do it. And so <laughs> I ended up with this, puppy, this nine week old Boston Terrier puppy name. We named her Hetty Pamar after Hetty Lamar. And, uh, she and my son have been learning to walk together as it were. And, uh, she's an absolute delight. And then she's a uh, best friends with Tormund Giant Spain, which I don't know if you can tell by the names that I give my pets. I'm a major nerd, uh, Tormund Giant Spain, uh, big yellow and gold tabby who they love each other to death. Oh, nice. Well, it's, it's always nice to have a like multi-species household. Mm -hmm. I think I, I have always been a dog person, but everyone and their cats, it's just, it's wearing me down one day. Cats are amazing. (laughs) We actually just lost one. We were, I know your intro said two cats. I was like, Oh yeah. Who they need to start a a little. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. I really, as I was saying that I was like, I think she said she only has one. That's okay. She just passed. She just passed. So, um, and I think we have to set this appointment up before she had passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. She was old. She lived a great life. (laughs) 
I'm sure. I'm sure she lived a wonderful, wonderful life because I can tell you're a very passionate pet parent. Um, and if you could tell us where everyone can learn more about Pet Hub. Yeah. Um, we only scratched the surface of everything that we you do. Really only so. did. We did. We did. <laughs> so to find out about Pet Hub, if you are a pet parent, you go to pethub.com, P-E-T-H-U-B.com. However, if you are a shelter or a veterinarian or a pet care provider that would love to use Pet Hub tags as part of your business, please visit pethub.solutions. That's the word S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N. S solutions, pethub.solutions, and you can find our business facing stuff. Yeah, very interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing such great information. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Tori. What did you like most about this episode? Find me on Instagram at teamistic and let me know what intrigued you or what questions you have about starting or growing your own dog inspired business. You can also screenshot this episode and tag me in your stories. I love to see who is listening out there. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode, right? So track me down over on Instagram or join the Wear, Wag, Repeat Labs Facebook group to connect with other dog-obsessed entrepreneurs. And as always, you can find all the links and resources discussed in this episode at wherewagrepeat.com slash podcast. See you back here next week.